Welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, send questions and comments to our Facebook event page or in the chat running alongside this YouTube video. And if we like your comment or find it insightful, it may even appear on the show. And as always, if you can't catch us live, please catch us on the replays on Facebook and YouTube, along with all the chats that are included. Or if you're an audio podcast kind of person, on your favorite podcast app. You know me. I am not John Ruark. I am Joe Martinez. I am the current Worshipful Master of Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia. And next up, my handsome, handsome co-host, Jason Richards. Hello, everybody. Jason Richards here, uh, past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia. And uh, not sick out of both ends tonight. Yes. Thoughts and thoughts and well wishes to uh, Brother John, who's got who's got the weight loss bug. Yep. His entire yes. family, too. And when you have five kids. Yeah. And not enough bathrooms. I don't think he has a six bathroom home, right? Seven bathroom seven. home. Seven, yeah. I don't think he has seven baths. I, I don't think so. so. Good luck. Good luck with that. Send you some toilet paper via Amazon, but we love you. Yeah. And thoughts uh, and prayers. Have, thoughts and prayers, hugs and well wishes, yeah. all the good feels. Um, we should have someone else popping on soon and he can say hello in a minute, but I guess we'll get started uh, in any event. So next thing we should do is, and sorry, this is the new uh, podcast app, so I'm really slow at doing the stuff. So we're going to do that first. And then we are going to thank our Patreons. So, uh, you know, for those that give and continue to give to allow us to get jazzy um, apps and fun stuff so we can continue this podcast. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate everything that you do. Um, right on. We appreciate you. Did I miss anything, Jason? Nope. Hey, if you're interested in becoming a patron through Patreon, go to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. We'll hook you up with a cool secret group in Facebook where we go and continue the conversations after the show. And a pin. Pretty much all week long. And you get, and and you get an amazing pin that you can't find anywhere else. Exclusive. Yes, super duper exclusive. It's actually this guy right here. That's um, right. Yeah, it's it's Pretty the Masonic nice. Roundtable Shield lapel pin, and yes. uh, I I'm a fan. Yes, and it's bulletproof, so you can wear it in D.C. and other places like that, Chicago, that kind of thing. Uh, and it also attracts the lady folk. So if you wear it out to the club, you know it'll work for you. The Sonic Roundtable pin is not actually bulletproof. Most of the Sonic Roundtable will <laughs> not be held liable for any mis- misuse or douchebaggery associated with Kenny Shaw. <laughs> yes. Right on. Uh, what's next? Tarot card of the week. Yes. Yes. All right, cool. I guess it's my turn. So I uh, I don't have a jazzy... Let, let me apologize in advance. I am not John Ruark, as you know. I don't have all the snazzy tech. I don't have a... What do we call it? The tarot card camera? Right? Tarot cam. Uh, I do not have that, so we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. But um, let's see. The deck I have, sci-fi nerds, get ready. It is the 
Star Trek The Next Generation tarot card deck. Yeah. There it is. Wow. Let's get in there right there. Yeah. And it comes with a snazzy guidebook that tells you what all the translations are from uh, esoteric to nerd. So, um, yeah. So, with that, did some shuffling. Do a little bit more shuffling. And then we'll pull a card. Jason's making a face. He's probably not a Star Trek fan as I am. I, hey, I mean, I like lightsabers as much as the next guy. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> All right. Here. here we go. And the card is what do we got? Ooh, let's make it big there. Temperance. Temperance. That's not TNG. Yeah, no, he was in The Next Generation, man. Oh, okay. That's old talk. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. See, for All what right, it's so worth, I actually, I, I grew up watching TNG and really enjoyed it. So did I, man. After dinner. Yeah. It was on It was on uh, Channel 11. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, Temperance. Let's talk about that card. So it was Upright Temperance. Um, this card does not speak to me. Um, it talks about keeping things in balance and having patience and doing things in moderation. I'm waiting for Jason to rip out into laughter, uh, taking the middle road, um, you know, avoiding the extremities of, of a situation and, you know, maintaining a sense of calm. So this card, not Joe's card, definitely more Jason's card than Joe's card. Um, really? yeah, I don't think you're extremist. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, Folks in the winding stairs may hold differing views on that. But um, no, for me, I always try to keep things in balance. Um, You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't like confrontation. Yeah. And as you know, I, I guess I enjoy confrontation and I avoid and I avoid taking the middle road wherever possible because I have two speeds on and holy crap. So, uh -huh. but I think that, Oh, and coming to us live from the Midwest, we have the always beautiful Robert Johnson. Well, hello everybody. Hello, Robert. Hi. Sorry. I'm late, but anyway, better late than John Ruark. That's right. We do, yes. No we one wants out, to be well, John tonight. Not tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really mad you missed the uh, the tarot card because I was showing them my my Star Trek deck and I wasn't getting love from from Jason Richards because he's a Star Wars oh, that's, nerd. That's so sad because I did not say that. Look at wait. Oh oh. But wait, it's right somewhere over. Bippity do. I don't know. I have the same deck somewhere. Yes. Oh, and you tidied up your office, man. Or maybe I just threw all my stuff on the floor. That is, let's uh, let's get a, a solo of that. Look at it. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Look at that. Yeah, Ooh. looks good. Wow. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. This is what happens sense. when John is too sick to come on the show. We just kind of go off the rails. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was late because we were at boxing. So it was fun. Ooh, who's boxing? Elliot. Nice. It's a good time. Yes. Three. Right. Nice. So what's Alrighty. up with pomegranate? 
So yeah, let's pomegranate. Pomegranate. That's right. Uh, apparently, it's a fruit. Um, yeah, and that's it. Everybody have a great week and uh, keep searching for more light and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Boom. <laughs> Night. Ending video now. We kid. We kid. So yeah, let's talk about the. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk about the insane amounts of symbolism um of the pomegranate so if you thought it was just a masonic symbol or it showed up on a pillar somewhere um you are wrong there is the pomegranate goes back thousands and thousands of years and shows up in many 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 of the ancient cultures of the world um so i guess the best way to start is uh we'll start with all that ancient stuff right so uh so you don't have to look at our faces we did tiny little And then Joe killed himself. <laughs> that, the technical term is he unalived himself. You unlived yourself, yeah, bro. I'm back. Hello. There you go. <laughs> what did you do? Dude, I got this. So, so I have this high-speed uh, gaming mouse now. It has all these extra buttons. Apparently, one of the buttons is leave the stream. So, yeah. Whoops. So let's go back to that. Yes, the juicy and succulent pomegranate. Oh. Um, but for me, I'm going to talk about it from a uh, ancient religious standpoint. So let's talk about where What's this pomegranate. Yes, um, and I know there's going to be a lot of interrupting, so I'm going to use my temperance and just ride it. Don't have it. any temperance. I know, I know. I'm going to learn some though. Uh, that's the card that popped up, Robert. Was temperance, and uh, where where did it go? It was it was Spock. Um, so yeah. But anyway, the pomegranate. So. The pomegranate tree, um, people think that the pomegranate tree probably originated in ancient Persia or modern-day Iran, and it definitely goes back as far back as the early Bronze Age, so about 5,000 BCE to about 3,000 BCE, so it's been around for a very long time. Yeah. Um, also, and- Joe, I don't know if you ran across this, but I saw a lot of like kind of pseudo-articles and things to the contrary pointing that its earliest origins were in China, but... We know that's not true, I think. I did, uh, you know, being lucky enough to access uh, not Wikipedia and hit a couple of scholarly articles. Um, I did see that um, there is evidence of the pomegranate going back to, you know, uh, early Persian culture, things like that. Um, So it definitely showed up, at least in art and ritual and religious observances. Um, But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, yeah, the pomegranate did not probably uh, come from China. It probably came from ancient Persia, so Iran and parts of Afghanistan. And it was definitely part of the ancient religions that started in that part of the world. So Zoroastrianism, uh, it shows up in ritual, it shows up in religious observances, and it shows up in their mythology as well. Uh, Let me see if I can... So yeah, Zoroastrianism. Uh, Now... A lot of the written texts when it comes to Zoroastrianism come much later than the practice religion itself. But that is definitely one of the older religions of the region. And uh, so just take note of that. It was there. Well, let's get to the next oldest one, Judaism. So the pomegranate shows up in lots of aspects of Judaism. Uh, the word pomegranate, there's a word for pomegranate in Hebrew. It's uh, rimon. And it's derived from the Latin words for apple and seeded. So a seeded apple, pomegranate. Definitely existed in the Mediterranean region and the ancient Near East, again, for thousands of years. And lots of symbolism. It shows up not only in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible, it shows up in the Talmud, and it shows up in a lot of the oral tradition that was later written down. Joe, so notable. 
Yeah. I just had a question. Uh, it was, my job is to interrupt you all the time. Uh, Thank you. The, so the so if the, the if the word comes like from seeded apple or something along those lines, what do you think about these uh, claims or these uh, thoughts about you know the the tree of knowledge was actually a uh, a pomegranate tree? We're gonna get to that in slide number four. Dope. You're, All right. You're smart potato. Yeah. Um, right so on. within so within Judaism, though, pomegranate seen as a symbol of righteousness, also representative of the commandments in the Torah. How many are there? Errols, six hundred and thirteen. That's right. So, right. So we know from a uh, reality standpoint. Uh, very few pomegranates probably have 613 seeds exactly. They can range anywhere from 400 to 1,200 on average. But uh, to Jason's point, Jewish tradition does teach that the pomegranate is that symbol, and it's supposed to have 613 seeds, one for each uh, commandment um, or mitzvah in the Torah. So we know about the 10 you know, that Charlton Heston made really famous, but there are more. And scholars are, it's actually not written down anywhere in the Hebrew Bible, you know, all 613. They take them from different verses, but depending on which uh, Hebrew scholar you talk to, they could be a little bit different. But I yeah. want a 1,200 seed pomegranate. That's got to be a big pomegranate. But, that um, sounds but delicious. It's delicious. Yes. Oh, you owe me a Coke. I'll take move. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, another big prominent place that it shows up, and Jason's going to touch on this as well, is in a couple of parts of the Pentateuch. So in Exodus, it shows up. Exodus has a whole passage that talks about pomegranates being sewn onto the garments of the high priest. Um, and you see this in other appended bodies, shall we say, but we'll touch on that later. Uh, and then also it says in First Kings, again, uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, that the tops of two pillars are adorned with pomegranates and we'll talk about that later too where that comes from yeah yeah they didn't make it up it's there um it's also referenced off, in song of solomon it is indeed yes um so to round off our little talk about judaism uh it's customary to eat pomegranates on rosh hashanah as well um as well as other things. And uh, Jason touched on a lot of the symbology there. But um, Robert mentioned some Jewish scholars believe that the pomegranate was the actual forbidden fruit that was found in the Garden of Eden. Um, and it's also listed in many other places in the Hebrew Bible uh, as an important fruit. But going back to what Robert was talking about, so it's not only uh, Hebrew scholars that say that the forbidden fruit was actually a pomegranate. And if you actually look at the text of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't say apple. Everybody thinks it's an apple because that's the way they portrayed it in medieval art, right? When you see, you know, the weirdly shaped medieval folks, you know, before they figured out with what depth and perception was, um, they're eating an apple and a snake's involved. So, um, but Maybe yeah. Maybe it's Robert. just a very badly drawn pomegranate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, and, and so to that point, though, you know, pomegranates having emerged in ancient Persia, the Fertile Crescent, ancient Mesopotamia, the cradle of civilization, where a Garden of Eden would have been, were that actually historical and not allegorical. 
That is true. Yeah. And uh, some smart people have actually taken the names of the rivers and stuff like that and can probably figure out where the Garden of Eden was based on, you know, the river that ran this way and so forth. So, yeah. But Tigris nowadays, Tigris, baby. That's right. Nowadays, if you eat a pomegranate, you will not be condemned to, you know, death and sadness and all that good stuff and kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So enjoy your pomegranate. It will have folks. no effect or no impact on your desire to wear clothing. That well, yeah. You splash some vodka on it, maybe. Oh, fair. Yeah. Has the yeah, opposite yeah. effect with vodka. It does. Indeed. Come off. Alrighty. So uh if we're going in chronological order uh from these religions, we're going to leave the Abrahamic faith for a hot minute and we're gonna go to the Mediterranean and we're gonna talk about the Greeks. Mm. So the Greeks, uh specifically some of the mystery religions that we've talked about ad nauseum at least I have, uh, talk about the pomegranate and its symbolism, and it shows up in many, many places, the most prominent of which is the mysteries found in the city of Eleusis, so the Eleusinian mysteries. So here we have a picture of Persephone eating a pomegranate, and we'll get to why that's a bad thing in a minute. And then the other picture is, again, Persephone in the underworld with the pomegranate in her hand, and everything above is dying, and winter's coming, and you've heard this story before, but I'll really summarize it. Demeter was not pleased. No. So, so for those who've never heard the story, I think we did a show on the mysteries once. Um, go watch that or listen to me talk for forever. Um, I know my kids all <laughs> know the story. So, <laughs> but you have Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, right? In ancient Greek religions, right? So it predates the Romans, right? Because the Romans like to uh, pilfer things that they like. So Demeter, goddess of the harvest, um, had a daughter and her name was Persephone and she was absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful young lady. And she was picking flowers and she was spotted by Hades, the king of the underworld. So if you watch that Hercules movie, you know who Hades was. And um, Hades saw her and was smitten by her. And he asked Zeus, you know, the big Mac daddy of them all for permission to marry her. And Zeus is like, I'm not getting involved. This has nothing to do with me. Do what you're going to do. So Hades took that as uh, an okay to uh, quote unquote betroth her. So he leaves the underworld, runs up to this beautiful garden where Persephone was and abducted her and took her back into the underworld. Which, to be fair, is right out of Zeus's playbook. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, Zeus was Zeus's big thing was uh, not to get off on a tangent. He was his big thing was turning into a weird animal. And seducing people, right? He would turn into an yeah. eagle or he would turn into a bull or swan. Yeah. And do the seduction thing. So, which I find interesting. I didn't know people were so amorous towards animals back in the day, but apparently it worked. Centipede. You, you know, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have social media. They didn't have TikTok to keep themselves occupied. So, see a cool eagle pop in your window and say, hey, put some Marvin Gaye on. The magic is going to happen. So, but we digress. So, Persephone, now in the underworld. Uh, so now when you're transported to the underworld, guess what? You're dead, right? And so now you are... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm reading the YouTube comments. They are funny. So um, now Persephone's dead, and she's with Hades. And Demeter, her mom, is searching all over Earth for her. She's searching this way and that way. And nobody knows where she went. Nobody knows what happened to her. So for nine days and nine nights, she's searching all the Earth, cannot find her. So she finally ends up in the city of Eleusis, and she's sitting there by a well and she's crying and she's really sad that she cannot find her daughter. 
Now, some of the sons of the king of Eleusis, they see her, they realize it's her, and they say, hey, Demeter, uh, we think that Hades took your daughter. Um, there's this really ugly dude, big, muscular, powerful guy, and he rode a chariot with black horses, and which is usually synonymous with Hades. So Demeter, really pissed off at everything, stops allowing things to grow. So you have things that are growing, apples, bananas, pomegranates. Uh, everything starts to wither and die. The leaves fall off of the trees. It gets cold and starts snowing. So the people of Earth, not happy, right? Because they have no more crops. Everything is dying um, and nothing is there to grow and feed them. So Zeus is getting involved now and says, hey, Demeter, my human people that worship me, they're dying. This is not good. And Demeter's like, well, I don't care because I want my daughter back. So Zeus goes and tries and intercedes. Demeter goes and talks to Hades. And Hades says, you know what? Sure, you can have her if you can leave the underworld with her. Um, if you can walk out, which is a multi-day journey, right? It's not a tiny little place, the underworld. Um, if you can walk out with her, you can have her. So Hades, knowing that Persephone has been there, sad, alone, hungry, he gives her a pomegranate and she says, hey, if you get hungry, why don't you eat this? So right before they make it to the mouth of the cave of the underworld, um, Persephone gets hungry and she eats some seeds of the pomegranate. So unless you are a super Greek mysteries nerd like some of us, you would know that if you eat anything while you're in the underworld, you're now trapped there forever. So this pomegranate now kept Persephone in the underworld for the rest of her life. So Demeter is even more pissed off than she was before. So now nothing's growing. People are dying. Crops are dying. Cattle are dying. Everything's dying. So now Zeus is getting more and more worried because you need people to, to worship you. So he gets involved and they all strike a deal together that says for the number of seeds of the pomegranate that Persephone ate, she'll have to stay down there in the underworld with her husband, Hades. But for the other months of the year, she can come and hang out with her mom in the land of the living and everything will be hunky-dory. So this is where the pomegranate comes into play. And some parts of the legend say it was three seeds of the pomegranate. Some say it was six. But we know during the time where things start to die, either winter or fall and winter, that's when Persephone is in the underworld with her husband, Hades. And when she's up with her mom out in the land of the living, that's when you see the time of spring and summer. So that's how the ancient Greeks understood how the seasons came and went and how things died and how they became reborn in spring and things like that. So really long story, but uh, a very important symbol in the city of Eleusis is the pomegranate. And if you go to the city of Eleusis now, the pomegranate is carved in a lot of the remaining architecture that's there. So it was a really, really important symbol and one of the best examples of the pomegranate in the ancient mystery religions of the Mediterranean. Thoughts, comments, concerns? Did I skip anything? Boom. All right. So let's jump ahead to Christianity. Yay. So you want to talk about the Eastern religions first? Uh, we could if you want. Um, I don't have a slide for that, but yeah, right on. That's okay. So um, pomegranate, not just associated with um, you know, Western philosophy and esotericism, uh, but is featured heavily in a number of eastern religions as well um in the hindu and buddhist uh, traditions um the pomegranate is actually associated with one of the chakras actually the the 
the highest energy center in in the body uh, located at the crown of the head um, in the Taoist tradition uh, the pomegranate is um, associated with the concept of yin which is the feminine um, receptive and nurturing aspect of the universe this is similar to the Kabbalistic tradition where the pomegranate represents the defined femininity of God you know God God being both male and female and and the the pomegranate representing that female part of God that also shows up in the Western religions too mm-hmm yeah everybody thinks that um, God in the Old Testament or God in the Hebrew Bible is just solely male and just angry. He likes to throw thunder and floods at people and stuff. But no, there are feminine aspects of of God in. Let uh, us make Bible. him in our image. And he yes. made them male and female. God's a rebus. <clears throat> or there's just many. Oh. God is Three trans. gods in a trench coat called the Trinity. So God's trans. Like in, he's, he's, in the classical sense of the rebus. Or he's non-binary. All things. You got all the things. Right now. All things considered. That's a good NPR show. <laughs> Not a sponsor. Yes. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Some of the stuff that you guys are talking about is really interesting because I, I keep thinking about like why it's so revered, right? And when we're looking at why this this fruit is revered for anything, these ancient cultures come back to all of these mythologies about the the fruit that it's you know a symbol of fertility, abundance, prosperity, or that it's uh, red in color, uh, rich in antioxidants, which of course you know is uh, is. I'll speak to later just about the, the it's the pomegranate's place and fad diets and things, you know, reaching its height of palm wonderful and all of those lawsuits. But I love that uh, stuff. <laughs> it's really interesting. Actually. It's so it's good. Delicious. It's um, the antioxidants. Yeah, you, you kill all your oxidants. It's great. Um, but like there's there's just so there's all of these claims about it, right? Like it was so revered for these things like fertility. And I guess my inner David Hatcher Childress says, you have to wonder why uh, people start associating uh, these, these uh, attributes of this fruit to these extraordinary claims of uh, prosperity or fertility, or, you know, in some cases we were talking about uh, masculinity and uh, like unlimited strength and, and male prowess and, and all of these things, you know, the, the ancient Viagra, if you will, of, of all things. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I, it's so interesting to me to um, think about it because even as, as we, Talk about the fruit today, the super fruit of the pomegranate. I mean, there's a number of, of fruits like this and things, but it's almost as if this fruit has been in the scope of, of fad diets since time immemorial. It's really, it's really wild to me. I, and I wonder, you know, what, what ancient man really has a, a, a claim to the correlations that they attribute the fruit to. 
Right. Well, I mean, to your to your point, is it you know, if John were here, he would probably say, is it is it syncretic? You know, do does one people steal somebody else's thing and it just went or did all of these cultures have this understanding of or this idea about the pomegranate? And that's what they proffered forward. You know, I don't know. Where were we? We're talking about the Eastern religions, Jason. Sure. Christianity time, right? Oh, okay. Christianity time. All right. So, boom. Let's go back and bazinga. Christianity. So, they also have, especially when you get to the Middle Ages, uh, there is tons of use of the pomegranate as a symbol in medieval Christian art. Uh, it's found in churches. It's found in carvings. It's found in paintings. And for the Christian artist, the pomegranate was a symbol of resurrection, of everlasting life. Uh, the pomegranate was often found in statues and paintings of the Virgin Mary with the Christ child, um, either holding or eating from the pomegranate, which is a really interesting symbol there. So in a lot of medieval artwork, the pomegranate tree, going back to what Robert talked about, um, was that symbol that uh, of the fruit that was taken by Adam and Eve uh, when they weren't supposed to from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Christians use it too. Just laughing and, that be like, hi, this is mine. You can't have it. I'll wave to you, but like, <laughs> it's mine. Anyway. Indeed. So, the last uh, of the Abrahamic faiths that have loads of symbolism when it comes to the pomegranate is Islam. Shows mm -hmm. up there. It shows up in the Quran in multiple places. Um, but a lot of Islamic scholars also concur with Robert's idea that the pomegranate was the fruit that was found in the Garden of Eden. All right. So a lot of your faith systems use this as that fruit that, you know, unlock good and evil and yeah, set us on a path. So the pomegranate is also uh, used uh, not only for symbolism, but for traditions there. Um, in like weddings. The Iran like weddings. Absolutely. And if you go to a lot of the, uh, religious festivals. If you go to Iran and you celebrate uh, Yalda night, people come together on the winter solstice. That's the winter solstice, the name of it in Iran, and eat pomegranate fruits to celebrate, uh, you know, the victory of light over darkness and new life sprouting and things like that. So, yeah, shows up a lot. I think that was my last slide. So I'm going to turn that off. Boom. So that's ancient religions and the pomegranate. So why do we care? Why do we care? Why do we care? Because tradition. I was going to say because masonry, but yes. Yeah, well, like in masonry, where do, where do we even see it? I think it really only comes out in one element of the lectures, right? When we're talking about the description of the pillars. Adorned oh, yeah, we got two pillars. Hands, right? And so this is like really one of the only places that it's ever even mentioned outside of... Uh, the exuberance of its seeds. It's all in the, uh, the middle chamber slash uh, uh, staircase lecture. It seems. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I mean, most of that stuff is ripped right out of first Kings. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So not original. Uh, it definitely came from the old Testament slash Hebrew Bible uh, in the description of the pillars that adorned King Solomon's temple. It is interesting also to note that I, I think uh, something I was reading at, at some point, I'd probably have to go back and maybe 
I could be remembering this wrong, but uh, in reading about the origins of uh, the pillars on top of the, uh, or, uh, sorry, the globes on top of the pillars, that originally these were supposed to have been uh, related to like the Orphic egg things in, in, in some of the Egyptian traditions. But then it also kind of tied this thing together with the idea of uh, the pomegranate as a, as a Western interpretation of the lotus flower. Uh, and yeah. so this was also interesting uh, when I was reading it because you always see the the lotus flower and the Eastern iconography of like say the Bo- Buddha inside of the the lotus or something along those lines, right? But the way the lotus opens up in these images is not unlike the top of the pomegranate, where it has you know the crown of the pomegranate, which I think somebody had asked, um, you know, why why couldn't it be the root chakra, right? But it makes sense that it would be if the crown chakra because of the crown on the actual fruit or something. I liked it. Ooh, here's sun card. He had a great it's legit question. Question from sun card. Wait, does the pomegranate itself become a symbol? Like how people use pineapples to show you are welcome here. I thought pineapples were great on pizza and for swingers. Whoa. Um, I don't like either of those comments more so the first one than the second one because pineapple does not belong. You're crazy. Remember, we got dinged last week during the PowerPoint karaoke show for for all of the uh, bad talk. We didn't. <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't. Uh, we're going to get dinged this week because we like Star Trek more than Star Wars, even though I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. Ooh, what's up with that? Boo. Sorry. But, well, I sure yeah, had a big uh, dad joke on it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to that to that question's point, um, are we conflating the importance of the pomegranate here? Because like Robert said, it shows up one time. And I can't think of another time where it shows up with any sort of prominence, you know? And if you go to some lodges, like... Some lodges have those really ornate pillars, you know, like that you see the lily and you see the network and you see the pomegranate and some you barely see anything, right? They're just two poles um, with little spinny globes on them. So are we, are we making the argument though, that the pomegranate is, you know, a, a pervasive symbol throughout masonry or are we looking at, added as you know one of the symbols in freemasonry much like the lily work and the network that are really only kind of i'd make the case for the latter in passing i think the latter jason because what we're looking at here is we're taking apart this kind of myopic piece of masonic ritual and just like almost everything in masonry masonry borrows from everything anything oh, that was it's syncretic borrows from all the things what do you, what do you talking about yeah well i guess yeah right i mean we take from everywhere anything that had any worth or uh, value to the people in terms of a mythology or anything seems to end up somewhere in our ritual and there's no shortage of uh, folks out there writing about masonry that take these things to levels uh, that are far beyond reality right is like we we know that there are arguments about uh 
let's just say the way an apron is worn or something, right? And somebody makes a mythology or, 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 or builds a story around why it had to be this and ties it to some ancient practice of the Kabbalah or something else. And I think we see a lot of that with a multitude of symbols. Uh, not Didn't you know that Adam himself was a Mason? Uh, yeah. And he also ate a pomegranate and um, yeah. <laughs> and that was when he got his white apron. He's like, ooh, my twig and giggleberries are out. Yeah, it's but he, fun fact, he, he, wore, he wore his apron, contrary to popular belief, it was square, and it was the uh, the, the full-width uh, Texas apron is the kind okay. that Adam had, just so you guys know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no no ornate yeah. decorations whatsoever. Yes. Audible sigh. <laughs> That's what I think about everything that you just said, but <laughs> but let me look, let's look at it. I, I'm looking at it from a. You, he you didn't know, allow music at. in his lodge rooms either. Yes, no, he didn't. Um, anyway, um, love you, Brad. I'm looking at it from a different standpoint. I'm looking at it. Did we did we miss the boat when we just took the pomegranate symbol and only cherry picked out that one little verse in First Kings? Right when a lot of the people who wrote our ritual, it was right pre-enlightenment and enlightenment time frame, Right. And you know, they had access to a lot of the mystery plays and a lot it's of kind the post enlightenment. They're talking 1700s. Right. So these people definitely did, you know, it's post Renaissance. So the Greek and the Roman mythologies were back in prominence. They were written in the native tongue, right? So people could read them and absorb them and understand them. So a lot of this stuff and a lot of the ancient philosophers and a lot of the ancient writers, they had access to this stuff. So my question is, again, why does it show up one single time if it's such an important symbol that spanned thousands and thousands of years? It might be worth grabbing let's just say all of the manuscripts we have and all of the lecture varieties and and looking at how many times it shows up because i would be curious if it shows up more than just in that particular section of the second degree which of course uh you know was the culmination at some point but i mean i'm wondering if, it, you know, in some earlier work like Finch's lectures or somewhere else, there's even more to be discovered with the pomegranate. Um, and of course, as we prep for the show, when we do the research, you know, we can't dive into every single uh, ritual version that's out there. Um, but as John loves to do crowdsourcing, uh, if you guys know of, of other places or other rituals, I would love to check those out. Make sure you guys post them in comments and also, you know, in the Facebook uh, feed there. Just be super interesting to check that out. Yeah, I'd read them. But yeah, so that's the pomegranate. I'm kind of bummed. Well, so the pomegranate, I was thinking about this uh because when you, when you all started talking about pomegranate for this week's show and we started really diving into it, the first thing that came to my mind was, right, like the super fruit food of the ancient world is also kind of the super food of the 1990s, the Palm Wonderful Company. Um, and I just I had I, I wanted to talk uh, just for a, a brief second to, to think about how. Even today, we echoed exactly the, the, the things that are echoed about Palm as a super fruit from this company. 
um, who was sued by the FDA, by the way, <laughs> for all of the health uh, claims that they make, uh, I think in 2010, they were making the same claims that really the ancient world made around this fruit also. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting, you know, that the pomegranate is kind of the apple cider vinegar of the ancient world. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to that? You got me curious because I used to buy a Palm Wonderful yeah. antioxidant super drink back in the day. You know, I'd see it at 7-Eleven. What happened to them? Well, they... Uh, They're still sold. Yeah, it's still sold. Um, the, the the Palm uh, Company went under a new corporation called the Palm Wonderful Company. They went, so like it was a, I want to say, just thinking about what I was reading earlier, $12 million in, in sales in 2003. Uh, but then um, something like a hundred million dollars by close to 2010. And today Palm wonderful banks about 4 billion. So they're doing just all right. Um, apparently the world still believes in the super fruit. Uh, no doubt. Like it is an awesome, great, delicious, healthy fruit. Um, and is super cool. And if I had a holiday in my religion where I got to eat pomegranates, you know, I'd be taking that up all day long. Um, they're messy and I hate when my kids try to eat them because I'm finding the seeds all over the place. Uh, but they are uh, really good. But yeah, I was never a big fan of the palm fruit juice things. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. So good. So good to buy one before I went to work. So much flavor. No, it's the right. It's the flavor of the gods, man. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> Uh-huh. It was the flavor of the gods. This is why. This is why they were so infatuated with it. Um, I, I'm going to have to look up also the 613. I w- I'm going to read all 613. I wonder if somebody's. There's got to be a compilation somewhere on the web. Oh sure. Just pull up. Yeah, I'm going to check them all out. And I wonder really if the Ten Commandments are um, a reduction of those 613 like well this is pretty much under this bucket pretty much under this bucket you know more etheric sort of uh moral tales that can go under the bucket of you know love mom and dad or whatever the case is well yeah when when we were talking about the 613 mitzvah right and you know if anybody in the comments knows more than we do chime in um but the couple of versions i saw Included things like it took, you know, the first commandment, right? Um, that you usually find it, but it was broken up into eight more commandments. It was love God, love God with all your heart and love God with all your mind, you know? So it kind of extrapolated on that, but then there are lists if you, uh, and, and I'll post some links in, uh, in our, um, Knights and Squires of there's different interpretations of them. And it shows you every single place in the Bible where, the Hebrew scholars, the rabbis, and those that were, you know, teaching the Talmud and things like that, those are the ones that decided, hey, here are the 613, here's what they are. And that's what they used to impart onto the world. Boom. Boom. Like the pomegranate. All right. All right. Time for final question. If you want, yeah. No, we can keep no. going. What's your final question? Yeah, what's your final question, Jason? Final question again from oh, 
Oh, we got we got Robert Marshall. We got Robert, Hi, Robert. Marshall coming in. Marshall says several. There it is. Several other things have been theorized as the one in Eden: figs, grapes. Well, you got to read it for the the audio people. Yeah. Sure, sure. Apple seems to have caught on in France, circa eleven hundreds, and spread out from there. Linguistically, there appears to have been a shift from the time of the Laren Vulgate, Latin, Latin Vulgate, Vulgate uh, when palm referred to fruit generally to France's 12th century usages of palm to refer more specifically to apples. The strongest theory, in my opinion, for how the apple became so popular. Um, yeah, you know, also the French is how, that's how they got the word for grenade. It comes from the pomegranate. Hmm. Huh. Sorry, I was on mute. I was going to add, where do apples come from? Like regular, regular apples. Were they grown in the Fertile Crescent or were they grown somewhere completely different where people in that part of the world would not have any idea what the hell an apple was, you know? That wasn't rhetorical. Well, Answer it's, it. it's Kazakhstan. Apples come from Kazakhstan. Oh, we got a uh, past grandmaster here, Tony. He's chiming in. Brother Tony says they are good for the prostate health and hair growth. Tony, <laughs> I eat lots of pomegranates, my man. I don't agree, That's, but I mean, you know, we're definitely looking for the for the prostate stuff. But yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think we've squeezed all the juice out of the pomegranate this week. Yeah, all right, probably. so. So, final question, starting with Robert from Suncard nineteen. Do you eat the pomegranate seeds or do you spit them out? Suncard, what's the matter with you, man? Oh man, I eat them. If you spit them out, then what the hell do you eat? Exactly. It just you might as well drink the juice. The the weird pomegranate slime. Yeah, (laughs) you just eat the whole thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Nom nom nom. <sighs> all right everybody that was a heck of a show uh thanks so much for spending time with us tonight uh we had a great time with you pomegranate uh symbol that's just mentioned in passing in the masonic ritual but uh used a whole lot elsewhere throughout the world so thank you so much for watching and keep searching more light. We'll see you next week. Pomegranate greater than green beans. Wow.